0: You have reached a phone call from Paul, a literary hub podcast. To hear more, visit lethub.com. Paul Holden Graber's Conversation with Nathaniel Kahn.
1: Hello? Hello, could I please speak with Nathaniel Kahn? N- nathaniel it's such a pleasure to speak to you and thank you for taking my call tell me what am i interrupting
0: i you're interrupting avoidance I'm,
1: what What are you avoiding
0: i'm avoiding i'm avoiding dealing with the calendar over the next several weeks and i'm looking at it and and uh, just because the film is opening and it's uh it's a lot of flying around over the next two weeks and um
1: so so t- so tell me a little bit it wh- wh- this morning t- t- so you're avoiding it all morning long so tell me what you are avoiding what what is what what does the calendar look like and what wh- well, what
0: I'll, t- I'll tell you one fantastic thing that happened this morning which is I woke up to the sound of swifts in the sky thousands of them
1: swift so t- t- tell me a, a swift is a kind of a bird a
0: swift and and they are this is very late for them to be leaving but as they come south and they go all the way to south america they have to go all the way to you know to parts of amazonia and such um on their way south they have to find places to sleep and they're they're communal creatures they they like to be together and they like to be close and they nest in chimneys um or in dust they used to let nest on cliffs of course but they take into cities, and they nest in in chimneys, um, but when they're migrating, they have to find a friendly chimney to stop in, and they must have stopped nearby, but literally the sky was filled with 5,000 of them, circling, just coming, shooting along, and then for, the, for 10 minutes, the sky was just filled with, with columns of these birds, these tiny
1: birds, they looked like little cigars with wings, little scimitar wings, fluttering and twittering in the
0: sky, and it was, you know, it was raining yesterday. It was suddenly clear, and then ten minutes later, every single one was gone—just gone. Just gone.
1: What, what, what did it make you think of?
0: Well, the passage of time, I guess. Life, just how, how, how we have to, we have to keep moving. That's that's what we have to do. Life is about movement, and it's not always easy. And uh, that's why I was avoiding thinking about all the movements I have to do and. Over the next couple of weeks, and you know, to open the film, um, and somehow I don't know. These words gave me courage. If, if they, you know, if they can do it, I, I can do it. There's there's things I need to, I need to be, I need to be brave now. There's a lot to do. There's a lot, there's a lot to get done.
1: So, so tell me a little. I mean, it's so such a wonderful image. Um, both their their mobility and uh, and your avoidance uh, followed Quite by really. followed followed by hope. Truly totally rare. Followed by hope. So, so there's, you know, there's this. It's a symphony in three in three movements. The five thousand birds, the avoidance, followed by if they can, I can, and there is hope. And and then there is, of course, a return to uh, this reality that you're avoiding, which I want you to tell me a little bit about. Um, also, because it will be a way for you to to talk about this this uh, movie of yours, which is launching very very soon
0: yeah next week i mean it's very exciting of course i'm i'm thrilled that the movie's coming out and and especially that it will be in theaters the, uh,
1: and the movie the movie is the price of everything
0: the price of everything about the art world and about artists and about the relationship between art and money and this kind of you know crazy moment that we're living in in which everything is being commoditized and uh and of course art is art has you know fallen victim to that if you will and people are using, you know, in certain in certain parts of the in certain parts of the upper echelons of the of the you know of the of the economic strata, people are using art as uh, you know like the stock market, and uh, that's where this you know the desire to make the movie came from, you know, just sort of being being shocked by that situation and wanting to explore it because something like that is also as art always does it holds a mirror up to who we are and what's really going on in our world. So, um, you know, the film, the film was kind of my, my journey into that, into that world. Um, and uh, it's, you know, it's been a fascinating one, it's been about two years in the making and it's coming out next week. So the, the fact that it's in theaters for a while just makes, makes all the difference in the world because, you know, we make things to connect with people. That's the,
1: so so um so, I'm going to say this to you because I've seen the price of everything now three times, and I can't wait to see it. Three times, all right. I, I can't wait to Did see it. it Did I it can't it bear
0: up with three times of watching. Pardon? Did it bear up under three under th- under three times of watching?
1: Well, this this is my latest revelation uh, about the film, and I'm very curious how you will react. I think the price of everything. If I had to say what it is about, mm-hmm. I would say it is a documentary about devotion. Wow, that's
0: that's wonderful to hear. That's interesting. I've never heard that before. I've I sort of thought of it a little bit about about. Sometimes I thought of it as being about freedom and who is really free. Um.
1: But devotion, tell me about that what, what No you, you, you that? no, you tell me tell me what what that word, what that word inspires in you uh, when you think of it in no. conjunction with the film because i 'd like you to riff on that, and I feel Nathaniel, you can because in a way, some of the characters, even the characters that don 't maybe come off as as beautifully as some um yes. in in a way um.
0: Well, so they're all devoted to art. I mean everybody in the film whether they're whether they're making art or they're buying art or they're selling art they're certainly obsessed obsessed with it and obsessed by it. And I think that I mean there there is an aspect of devotion to that. I mean I think when when you said devotion though what flashed to me immediately was the artists themselves. Right. I think that you know I mean for me that that's where my heart lies. I mean I I, I come from a from a family of artists it's not you know, my, my father and mother are both involved in the arts, but I had an uncle and aunt both of whom were involved in the arts. My my sisters are artists. Um, you know, I've seen that relationship between art and money since I was a kid. And it's a really tough one. And it's a complicated one because, of course, artists, you know, need money to live and they need money to be able to explore what they want to explore. And, you know, when you don't, when, when you struggle, it's it's tough. But at the same time, People are artists because they are devoted to making something that is beyond themselves. That's, that's why artists do it. They want to communicate something. They have something inside. It just has to get out. And I, I think that in the end, you, you, you have to be devoted. Otherwise it wouldn't be, it, you, you couldn't do it. It's too, it's too hard and it's too,
1: it demands too much. The price, if you will. Is too high. It's very interesting. I, I was just about to say that, Nathaniel. Um, uh, that uh, well, just the notion that the price is too high. Of course, um your movie called "The Price of Everything." The the word "price" is is different, but in in a sense can be understood in both senses. And you know, I'm of course, one is reminded, and in the movie it is said that. Uh, though it isn't attributed immediately to Oscar Wilde, everybody knows that that quip. And when I say quip, I really mean that Wilde always makes you think. His aphorisms are, are like like la- like bombs that explode later. When he said that. Yeah, every, you know, everybody knows the price of everything, but the value of nothing. Or my very favorite Oscar Wilde line ever, where he says, it is only superficial people who do not judge by appearance.
0: in the film saying to be a collector you have to be shuffle up.
1: I know. So how did you understand that? Because that that yeah. each each time I see that I'm 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 first of all amazed by him and we might talk a little bit about the cast of characters in the in the film and then there'll be so much else to talk about. Let's
0: do that. I mean the the cast of characters well well you know just to go back to the artist and devotion for a moment.
1: Yes. Um you know the one thing about devotion
0: is you, you really can't do it you, you you know it's not enough just to be devoted. I think you also have to really have joy in doing the work. And I think that one of the things which I very much wanted to represent in the film, I wanted to see artists working
1: right and you and you show them at work. I mean the one thing that I think is magnificent about the film is that you 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 can nearly smell and feel the paint
0: yeah no i i absolutely i agree with you and i wanted to get in
1: there close and i was so lucky to have the cinematographer
0: that i love working with bob richmond to to film it with the beautiful area mirror camera which really you know just just is so vibrant and colorful and film filmic um you know it really it really captures the feel of the paint or the feel of the surfaces of the sculptures and I wanted to be close. I wanted to be in there with the paint. You know, people have always said that Van Gogh, you know, was, was right in there with the paint, even eating it at times. Right. And, and I wanted to feel that. I wanted to smell it and feel it and taste it and be right up close to it. And I think being able to be there with, you know, two of the artists in the, in the film, who Larry Poonz, who who we can talk about in a moment, but I mean, talk about a devotional person.
1: Goodness me! From the, the from incredible, paintings that incredible. Does. From the first moment you meet him, you you realize what an extraordinary individual you 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 you're meeting on film. Uh, he's truly a remarkable individual. Talk about him.
0: Well, let's, let's talk about it. I mean, the the film the film began. You know, we did not have a a script. You know, it's a documentary, and in the in the true sense of the word, a, a verité documentary. In the sense that you have notions and feelings and concepts and ideas and people that you want to go see, but you don't know where the film is going to go. And I think that's, I mean, that's one of the reasons that I really love making films like this because because they don't, you know, it's 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 like life. You're not sure what's going to happen. Way leads on to way. Um, so I was very lucky to have uh, producers involved with the film. Who you know, especially Jennifer Stockman, who had wonderful connections in the art world, and was able to to get me you know in to see some incredible artists and incredible collectors and behind the scenes of the auction world and you know things that normally we don't get to see. And so I just began filming, which is really the way I like doing it most of all. You really truly go on a fishing expedition. You meet people. You set up an interview. It's not really an interview. It's more like a scene. You don't talk beforehand. You don't figure it out. You have a sense of what you want to do in the sense that you know you want to be with them when they're working somewhere where they're, where they're, where they're showing you their collection or they're putting together the auction catalog. You don't just want to sit somebody down and talk to them. You want them doing something. So, so I began to do those things and it became clear as I began to see more into this world of, you know, the high stakes um, market. The Art market that something essential was missing. I needed something really deep something really really soulful And I'm not saying that the characters that I didn't have that I have already weren't soulful They are but I needed something that went really deep and that really hurt that really that really Brought home the idea of the price that an artist pays to pursue their art And I talked to several people that I know in the art world several dealers and said look you know, who Who do you know out there who is an artist? They need to be older. They need to have been greatly successful at one time, ideally in the 60s, and then they need to have fallen off for a while. They need to be, you know, maybe off the grid. Maybe they live upstate somewhere. Maybe they're living in kind of a, you know, a dilapidated house, you know, but they're still working and they're still doing their work. And the person I talked to said, wait, wait, stop, stop. I know exactly who you need to talk to. You need to meet Larry for with a P. And... I didn't know Larry Coons. I okay. looked at his art and I saw that he had made these very well known paintings, dot paintings in the sixties, that he was represented by Leo Castelli, who at the time was, you know, the person to, to represent you, um, represented many other artists of the moment like like uh like Andy Warhol and 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 uh um the other people in the pop movement and uh you know, so Larry was represented by the very best. And then he sort of fell off. And I, I won't say disappeared, because other artists certainly knew about him, but he
1: fell off the, you know, the super fast Star Trek. But he fell off because someone told him something that he rebelled against.
0: But I didn't know that
1: at the time. Right. All that I knew was, here was this guy living, you know, up
0: and then the person said to me, you got to go see Larry Coons, he lives upstate, everything you described. So it took a while to get to Larry, and I called his wife Paula, and... He was very nice and said, well, I'll talk to Larry. And we'll see what happens. I had several conversations with Larry. He was understandably, you know, uh, he was he was cautious. And, you know, eventually he agreed. So I went up there with Bob Richmond, the cinematographer, down man Eddie O'Connor. We drove up there, and I
1: wanted to stay for a couple days because you never know what's going to happen. So we stayed in this little bed and breakfast. that was, you know, very
0: much off the beaten track. And it's at a place called Cairo, New York, which is spelled like Cairo, but it's Cairo. We, drew, we, we drove in the drive and there before me was this, you know, exactly the house that I imagined. You know, it's, a, it's an old house. It's, the paint is ceiling, and in the back is a, is a barn and it's on a beautiful property of, you know, I mean, but woods and scraggly fields and, you know, it, it, it's out there. And we pulled up in the drive and immediately out of the front door comes this man with a coffee cup in his hand and kind of a blue shirt, glowing shirt and, you know, like a like a character out of a out of a dream, you know, suddenly on the porch, and I said, "Oh my God, that's Larry!" Just just roll, Bob. just just start rolling. <laughs> Over there was no introduction. He knew who I was. I knew who he was. He just started talking. And what you see in the film when we meet him is literally, you know, three minutes after we
1: met. That is magnificent. You know, uh, obviously, Nathaniel, I had no idea of 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 that, but. I'm not surprised because that scene, when you meet him, has a quizzical freshness, which is extraordinary.
0: Yes. No, it, it does. And he immediately, you know, I had been seeing all of this, you know, very kind of high-stakes world of, of, of the auction house and of the person we mentioned, Stefan Edlis, the big collector, and suddenly here is this, you know, guy saying, Are, is not like sports <laughs> you're you know in sports your batting average is your batting average it is what it is but in art they try to make the best art be the most expensive art but and I say well isn't that the case you know playing dumb which is always a good idea and he says of course not of course it's not you know how, how could it, how could it be and the idea that that art and money as he said have no intuitive hookup at all it is just you know immediately that was the contrast and here was a person who not only said it, but had lived it. He had lived that story. And so, you know, he began to talk about the, the, the philosophy of, of art and being an artist and all those things. And the idea that if you're an artist, you kind of have to be. You don't really have a choice. It's something you, you know, you, you, you desperately want. And as he's talking, I'm thinking, my God, w- what are his paintings like now? And I worried. I thought, well, you know, I hope I like them. Yeah. How can, how, how can this be more beautiful then this moment with this, you know, wonderful man in the woods with the dappled light, and he's saying these beautiful things, and, and Bob is shooting it beautifully, and the whole thing is coming together <laughs> in this marvelous way. And so for hours, I didn't ask him, I didn't, I was afraid to say, do you want to go in the, can we go in the studio? And it wasn't until the second day that we came back that he finally said, well, do you want to go in the studio? And I said, well, yeah, kind of, I do yeah. <laughs> well, all right. So he takes me to the back barn and and Paula is there. And it's a moment I love in the film. We move, you know, it's always difficult. You're moving from the brightness outside into this kind of darker area. You go through these kind of felt, uh, felt curtains. And you're suddenly in this kind of darker area. And then he stops and he won't take me in the studio. And he just says, follow Paula. That's a good idea. Always a good idea. And, you know, he didn't really want to, he was tentative. So we follow Paula, you know, down this corridor and, and, the moment that's in the film is exactly how it happened. Suddenly we enter his studio and it is, it is as if we're entering the cave at Lascaux, this magic kingdom of art. And Larry paints in such a way, he paints with, you know, sort of intense artificial light um, blasting on the canvas and he strings a canvas around the entire room. So the whole room is a cyclorama. It is a, it is, it is a a—it's stage that has a 60-foot canvas going all the way around the room, and he paints the entire canvas all at the same time. And only after that is done does he excavate the painting using tape to find the edges of the paintings, which he will then cut out of this enormous canvas. But the canvas was covered with so much color and so much beauty that the world outside that we had just been in looked dull. This was, we'd entered the realm of art, of a true artist. And, which isn't to say that everyone, that all the artists in the film aren't true artists, they are, but the, but the intense contrast of this person who had been sort of, you know, out of the mainstream for over 30 years, has had shows and, you know, and, and was certainly known throughout this period, but suddenly he's doing this amazingly new work, and as I began to research it, Larry has gone through many phases, reinventing himself again and again and again, and the courage to do that when somebody tells you oh we love these dot paintings you know Leo Caselli's telling make me more of those I like those so I can sell those yeah
1: that, that that's what I was I was referring to before that b- basically the art world as it were and his dealers wanted him to remain yes. Larry poons and he said I I am not I am I am I am the person who is changing
0: yes and just the way you said it they wanted him to remain Larry poons and for him, he said, now, wait a minute, Larry Poon's has moved on. In order to remain Larry Poon's, I need to do this new thing. I can't be myself and do what I already did. And, and he uses these marvelous analogies. You know, he often flies to analogies of music, even more than, than, than other painters, though he knows and loves other painters. But he talks about Beethoven, I and mean, Beethoven really is, is his hero, his yeah. God and the idea as he said later in the film that the first piece ain't sounding like the last and the whole idea that of course an artistic soul evolves becomes better we have to fly south with the birds we have to go away we have to find new territories new places new ways of being new people to be around new you know you, you it, it's that's essential
1: you know, it, all, it always reminds me of a, a friend of mine who was writing a, a book about jazz in the 1940s and 50s in in France, and he got to to meet Miles Davis, and one day Miles Davis had a concert in New York, and he couldn't find tickets, and a good friend of his wanted to go, and he called up Miles Davis and said, can you get me two tickets, and Miles Davis said to him, of course, is there anything else I can do for you, Michael? And he said, yes. You know, my my friend loves my funny Valentine, and Miles Davis said to him, "Tell your friend to buy the record." Right, right,
0: exactly. I'm not taking requests. I'm taking
1: I, requests, and I'm also no longer my funny Valentine. I, I am no longer, I am no longer the play, person who's playing the standards. Actually, the standards is not what I'm about. But right. you, you had such a moment, you, I mean, you had a re, when you entered there, which you entered with trepidation, as you said, yeah. you, you had a moment which one, one could refer back to, you know, the, the Greeks thinking of the, the whole notion of epiphany. In a, in a way, you had a, a moment, you know, when you used to speak about epiphany as, as a manifestation of, of, of Christ to the Magi, but in, in secular terms, epiphany means a glowing instant of perception, and you had that moment there in Larry Poons's studio uh, absolutely. and And having just taken the film to Greece and to athens your your comment is most apt tell me about that trip to 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 greece and athens and tell me also you've you've shown the movie a little bit now it's been uh, for the last 3 or 4 months in various uh, festivals and now you've come from greece and i understand you're you've also been in london um, and you're going to as you said you're avoiding your schedule but it's not going to avoid you you're going to travel a lot to to show it around how was the reception in greece and how does it compare for instance to the reception? In London or elsewhere.
0: Mm. Well, well, we opened the film at, at Sundance last January, so it's been it's been around for a little while, and I've gone to many festivals with it, and it's been a wonderful experience and unbelievably varied. The different places in the country that have different responses to it, um, and and they're and they're and they're radically different, and that to me. You know that's fascinating because, I, as, you know, as a filmmaker, I think as anybody who who makes something, who is involved in the arts, you want a connection. You seek a connection. You seek a response. You want to find a resonance with with your audience, whether it's a, whether whether it's a, whether it's a conversation with a, with a single other person, the way we're talking now, or whether it's an audience of you know the act house, which we had, for instance, in 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 Columbia, Missouri, at the wonderful True/False Film Festival, which is one of the most sort of was a total revelation to me. I'd never been before. It's a, the festival's a little more than maybe, maybe it's 10, 12 years old, maybe 15 years old. Um, but it's, you know, it's in the middle of the country and the town absolutely just embraces film and art. And there are people playing music on the street corners and there are, you know, wonderful coffee houses and 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 several beautiful movie houses of a thousand people. And we packed those houses several times. Incredible. And I that was, that was a, a shocking and wonderful thing. The audiences were incredibly appreciative and responsive. We had great conversations about about the film. It was a very sort of uplifting experience. And then San Francisco, for instance, was something which was very different. Also, it was an incredibly brilliant audience. So thoughtful and immediately went to the idea that someone in the audience raised their hand and said, Oh, I understand this film. It's about... It's about late stage capitalism. <laughs> so, wow, that that's that sounds about right. You know, I mean, this is this is where capitalism starts to curdle and where we're forced to look at what what capitalism will also do because it will find a way to make a market out of anything. Even things that you know, I mean art of course art has always had a relationship between, you know, itself and money. Um that that goes that goes back to the Renaissance and before. But the way it is now, the way it's being used as a commodity is something, at this level, is something new. When you see a painting like that, you know, that, that Leonardo, uh, you know, maybe Leonardo going for $400 million at an auction of contemporary art, you know, that's, that's a level that we've just never seen before. So San Francisco saw that. And I wondered, how will this film translate to, to other countries? What, what will happen? And, um, we went to Copenhagen and that was a really nice experience. Um, and, but, but what really knocked me out was, was Athens. Why? Because, because it's the beginning of everything. I mean, it's just to, to be able to take a film to a place like that, which is so, um, just so steeped in, 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 in beauty and art. And uh, and with this incredible Acropolis right in the middle of it, which I'd never seen, and which had great meaning for me for so many reasons. Uh, you know, it was a place that meant a lot to my father when he was there seventy years ago. But just this idea that this this is a place that wherever you are in that city, you're aware. You know, New York is so forgetful. It, you know, it, it, you you leave and the next day it's forgotten you. But somehow when you're when you're in Athens and that and that Acropolis is there, you are constantly reminded of the presence of the past and of the possibilities and the promise of the future. You're not dead yet. There's still works to be done. And you're constantly somehow confronted by that, that thought. And that's what I felt in showing the film, was just the, the immediate engagement of the audience. In, in spite of, I mean, Greece has been through so much, recently, especially, or, I mean, it's many times it's been through a lot, but, I mean, but recently it's been very hard. And these were young people who put together this festival. They're You know, they're not doing it for the money. They're doing it for the love of it. And the audiences filled the theater. Their questions were fantastic. They understood the film as a visual experience, not just a kind of, you know, Americans, we tend to be awfully intellectual about things. You know, we kind of take it apart as an idea. But, but the, the, the Athenian audience, the Greek audience, was seeing it as a full experience, Visual part of it, you know, yes, yes,
1: the people saying things, but also just visually what it was doing, the amount of art that was there, right? Amount of sort of
0: exposure to art that was there, and I realized too in walking through the streets of Athens at night, you know, there is incredible graffiti going on. Now, you know, one could argue, I'm sure there's, you know, there's graffiti that isn't so great and maybe it's defacing buildings and such, but there's also some really, really great art on the street. That people are making that is that is that is powerful and it, it's protest art and it's art that is that has something to say something right, right to say it, it is speaking directly to you grabbing you you know by by the by the shirt and saying who are you what are you doing you know in the world and so to be in the environment of that with a film about art which ultimately is saying you know art is in a crisis right now
1: and what can yeah. we do
0: what can we do? What is to be done?
1: What is to be done? Yes. What is to
0: be done? What is to be done? And and the idea. Okay, there there was one there was one um, one a uh, uh, piece of graffiti on the wall which is which is a sheep, and the sheep is looking looking out looking sort of standing there. It's looking right at you, and it and, and it's saying something. And it's saying, uh, of course, I had to have a translator for me because I don't I don't know Greek. But it but it's saying, um, wake up, sheep. And it's looking right at you, and it, it, it makes you think. Okay, wait a minute. It, it's saying, "It's saying I'm a sheep. W- what am I following? Am I just going along with with life? You know, change your life. Do something different. Don't don't accept the way things are. Make them different.
1: You know that that reminds me so much of of. Uh uh, the Rainer Maria Rilke poem where he says you must change your life and then the echo I don't know if you know uh, Mary Oliver's um no, I don't. W- wonderful, wonderful poem called Invitation where she, she says I have it in front of me as it turns out where she says it is a serious thing just to be alive on this fresh morning in the broken world I beg of you do not walk by without pausing to attend to this rather ridiculous ridiculous performance it could mean something it could mean everything it could be what rilke meant when he wrote you must change your life
0: wow well, those words those words hit home big time and um well please send that to me would you
1: i will i will and 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 and
0: oh absolutely that's and that's that's what i felt from the experience of 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 showing the film in athens was that there were people there filmmakers there artists there who were doing it for the love of it for the devotion to it as you've said yeah and and, and for the joy of
1: it. And you were also, um, a, what is so striking to me here, Nathaniel, is that you were, you, the filmmaker of my architect, mm. were in Athens on a journey also, as perhaps many of your journeys are, well, to, to, to bind, to reunite you, in some way, before, to your father, a long time before. Yeah, but it's true that my father was there, and um, and,
0: and 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 I was reminded when I went there. Um, you know, I, I was told, go go to the Acropolis and stand where your father stood. Amazing. And and so I did. Um, and and there are drawings of his. That he made in his trip in 1950 and 51. And, you know, it's funny because I, I, I know the drawings, but I, you don't know where they're drawn from until you've been there. And that's something interesting about a drawing or a painting. And, and those experiences can be kind of shocking or they can be, they can be, you know, the, um, they can cause a revelation or they can be sort of, you know, sometimes ho-hum when you realize, oh, oh, oh they were just kind of standing here doing it. But for me, in this particular case, I remember, I mean, it's funny, I didn't, I sort of didn't plan to talk about this, but, but my father used to tell me as a little boy how much he loved the Parthenon. And he said, um, on the columns on the Parthenon, he said, a man can put his shoulder in the flutes at the column, at the Parthenon. It was kind of a funny, you know, kind of a funny comment because, okay, so the flutes are shoulder size, all right, so be it. When I was there, standing where he stood when he made the picture that i have, it's a charcoal picture right up against the edge of the parthenon looking looking towards the Propylaea, the entrance with the mountains in the background it's a beautiful drawing And it's extremely, it's it's very, very strong perspective. He's really close to the building. I realized I couldn't get close enough to the building because of the barriers. I couldn't get to where he was. But as I moved closer and closer and began to remember where he was, I realized when he drew the drawing, he had his shoulder in the flute of the column when he made the drawing. He was touching the building.
1: So you touched the building
0: and they blew the whistle at me, but yes, I did, and, and so to recognize, to connect in space, I mean, connection, isn't that what this is all about?
1: I, I, I really think it is, and you know, I, 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 must, I must remember this, this moment I had with you um, earlier in the summertime where you took me on a miraculous journey to the Barnes Museum in Philadelphia, um, yeah. the, the New Barnes Museum, no longer in its, in a, a, yeah, in its former residence. And we, we had a moment there, which I would, I would say was a moment um, of deep connection. And maybe, maybe in some way, what I was talking about before when I said after a third viewing of The Price of Everything, I think it's a movie that is really about devotion. It was that kind of devotion that I think called upon us and maybe uh, screamed in some way saying like the sheep um you must change your life it was a a, a calling a real vocation uh, uh to to perhaps change the course of of one's existence when we stood in front of the postman so of van gogh it was something and then we there was a l- little lecture that was given by one of the docents that was magnificent but it was that moment where that um, that postman was looking at us and calling us
0: absolutely and it's I, I remembered you know so well what that docent said, and we kind of joined the you and I joined the tour without sort of you know obviously without without uh, without introducing ourselves we just started to listen and what she said about the postman, I remember kind of commenting when we first stood in front of it thinking, oh man doesn't look all that terribly intelligent, yeah, you know. Having that completely turned on its head by this woman who spoke about the painting and made us see it differently and, sh- and, and explained to us, as I recall, that it was painted very much like an icon. Like, like a Greek icon or like a Russian icon. Right. Like a medieval, like a medieval icon. That the face is quite, that the, it's flat on, that one eye is bigger than another. As they uh, often are an icon.
1: That the eyebrow was in a different position. That
0: the eyebrow is in a different position, and that the background is somehow patterned. You know, it, patterned, it, it isn't. It isn't really. It's a space. It's sort of ambiguous. But then, most of all, it's the gaze. And you know, I've been back since then and looked at that painting again, and moved around the room, and those eyes are always on you of this postman, and you suddenly think, you know, think about the moment
1: in the 18, I think it's late 1880s that, that Van Gogh was there in the south of France and he made friends
0: with this postman. And, you know, portraits have always been about, you know, wealthy patrons. And here is, uh, I mean, not always, of course, Rembrandt painted people from the street too. But, but you know, here is here is a beautiful, uh, almost, devo- de- talk about devotion, a devotional portrait of a friend, someone who Van Gogh truly connected with. This guy was the one who visited him when he was in the hospital, when he had a breakdown. That's who came to take care of him. The postman. You know, wearing, wearing proudly his, his, you know, his working, his working man, um, you know, title, postus on top of his hat. Uh, you know, and I was reading, actually I read a little bit about him and, that, you know, he was, he was a socialist. He absolutely believed in the, you know, the workers of the world and, and proudly was a, uh, you know, a worker. Um, and the two of them had, had this great friendship. And suddenly, w- when one sees it that way, the whole thing is about connection. That Van Gogh so wanted that to connect to other human beings.
1: You know, um, Nathaniel, you, you, you and I spoke more about this and then you pointed me in the direction of a letter. Uh, the the letters that that van gogh wrote to his brother are perhaps among the the uh-huh. greatest things in literature uh, so not only was van gogh one of the greatest painters but he was also one of the greatest letter writers and they're they're much more than just Simple letters, They're like Rilke's letters on Cézanne, uh, which are so extraordinary. And I, I asked. I don't you... know those,
0: Paul. I, I should, I should get those. Oh, they I don't... really
1: are fantastic. Uh, very briefly, Rilke wrote uh, letters on Cézanne to his wife Clara Rilke, who was a student of Rodin, and Rilke had worked himself for Rodin. And he went in 1907 to the Palais d'automne to the first retrospective, a year after Cézanne had died, uh, and wrote these letters, speak about epiphany, letters of just adoration and amazement at the production of Cézanne. And at one moment, which is a really, really incredibly strong moment in the letters, Rilke says to Clara Rilke, you know, somebody has to write the biography of the colour blue. And it's just so powerful. It's just so amazing. And also, he talks about the way in which Cezanne managed to paint apples, not because he loved apples, but by painting them, he makes you love them.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. He sure does.
1: And but 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 Nathaniel, there's one thing I want you to do for me. Um, that that letter.
0: Pulled up a letter. I I, I pulled I pulled that up. If you want me, if you want.
1: Me. I I want you to read it because I want you to read it because I think in a way it it speaks to to this very deep notion of why we do what we do when we pursue a passion. Um, such as the passion of making my architect, such as the passion of, of making, uh, the price of everything, such as the passion of making the movie you did on the telescope. They are all connected and such as the passion of, of pursuing, um, work that is so rough and tough. And I think this letter says it beautifully. Well, uh,
0: wonderful. Let me, let me, let me, I, I hope I can do it justice and, and just remembering this is a letter that was written from Vincent Van Gogh to his brother, Teo, who was an art dealer, and they were, they were very close, but I gather they hadn't seen each other for a while. And then they did. And so Vincent writes to his brother, My dear Teo, it's mainly to tell you that I'm grateful for your visit that I'm writing to you. It was quite a long time ago that we saw each other road to each other as we used to. All the same, it's better that we feel something for each other rather than behave like corpses towards one another, The more so because as long as uh, one has no real right to be called a corpse by being legally dead, it smacks its hypocrisy, or at least childishness, to pose as such. Childish in the manner of a young man of 14 years who thinks that his dignity and social standing actually oblige him to wear a top hat. The hours we spent together in this way have at least assured us that we're both still in the land of the living. When I saw you again, and took a walk with you, I had the same feeling I used to have, more than I do now. As though life were something good and precious that one should cherish. And I felt more cheerful and alive than I have been for a long time. Because in spite of myself, life has gradually become, or has seemed, much less precious to me much more unimportant and indifferent. When one lives with others and is bound by a feeling of affection, one is aware that one has a reason for being, that one might not be entirely worthless and superfluous, or perhaps good for one thing or another, considering that we need one another and are making the same journey as traveling companions. Proper self-respect, however, is also very dependent on relations with others. It's, um, tremendous. It's tremendous and devastating. And, and the idea that so often we lose touch and, and he's just saying, let's reaffirm that we're alive at the same time. And that we're, and that we're, and that we're traveling, we're traveling companions, whether we're together or apart that this is life. And, um, you know, this, this desire to connect is really in the end, we come back to, you know, we come back to art. Why why do artists do it? And they want to communicate something. They have something they want to share. Um, and they want to connect. And that connection can happen long after they're dead even. And that's a, there's something, there's something very real in that. It's not, it's not, uh, it's it's, you know, it's not fake. <laughs> It's a, it's a real thing, and and to have gone afterwards, and uh, you know to to London and seeing the you know the, the, some of the 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 sculptures from the Acropolis, from the Parthenon, which were taken there, and have been there for you know several hundred years, um, there in the gallery, you know in a museum far away from their home, and it's my belief that they should go back. Um, you know, and and uh, uh, you know, England and 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 Greece should should have that conversation, as I'm sure I'm sure Greece wants to, Um because you see, you know, you, you're there, you're there in the in the Acropolis Museum, and it, it's been designed in such a way that there
1: are spaces ready to receive those. I know, incredible I know, that really. That to- once surrounded that were once
0: on the frieze of the Parthenon and, and in the in the metopes of the Parthenon. And the stories they tell are so absolutely phenomenal. And the sculpting is so phenomenal. And there you are in the British Museum. And, and you know, hey, they're, they're powerful, and there they are right in front of you. And longing to go home, very clearly, it felt to me, you know. But you look at these sculptures from 450 B.C., and they are communicating with you, and the artist who made them is communicating with you across those millennia and just grabbing you and saying this is the human condition this is a human experience this is how a horse
1: looks so go look at a horse again it looks like this and look carefully yeah
0: and look carefully and the thing that just knocks me out about the artists who made those sculptures is you walk around the back of them and you and you can walk around the back and this is the these are the parts in the pediment that could not be seen that, you know, it, they're right up against the pediment. You, you don't see the back of them. They're up there on the pediment. You can't see them. But the gods could see them. Well, the gods could see them, and, and, and the artist who made them could see them and sculpted them in such a way that they were just as good from the back as they were from the front. They weren't flat on the back, and you see lots of sculptures, even great sculptures like Egyptian sculptures many times. They're just flat on the back as though they're up against the wall or something. Not these sculptures. They are fully liberated from the marble. They are alive. The, the the fabric in the in the you know the the, the gods that are standing are is moving with the wind and you go around the back and the wind is still blowing. So that's devotion. That's this thing that artists do not because they're getting paid to do it, but because that's how it needs to be done. It needs to be done right. And it needs to communicate down the centuries and down the millennia. And that's that's something that just you know it gives it honestly this is a dark time in our world. You sense it every day. I sense this kind of, you know, it's coming back to America. I feel this kind of, this, this kind of creeping, uh, anxiety and, and fear and people kind of walking around a little bit like zombies. Seeing sculpture like that, sculpture like that gives you hope. It gives you hope.
1: You know, um, it It brings in in my mind so many so many different thoughts one of them is uh the the famous line I always like quoting of of Kafka who said there's hope, but not for us and then and then the this, funny, this funny guy. i know it's he's a funny guy and and yet it's you 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 can feel also how it can tear at you and then there's a the extraordinary line of Adorno and horkheimer who in, in a way, speak today to the malaise you're talking about us being in now, where uh, they write, I do not believe that things will turn out well, but the idea that they might is of decisive importance.
0: Yeah, it's wonderfully said. I mean, otherwise, otherwise, how, how would you survive? Unless, unless. Unless you have hope that it might turn out okay, and and I think that goes for individuals too. You have to you have to give yourself that faith too, that it could turn out okay, but
1: you do have to have the courage to change your life. And and you know, um, one character in 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 the film um, who's very complex. I would say that the many of the characters in the film uh, are tremendously complex, and one of them, um, Amy Capellazzo. Um, uh, of she's an extraordinary character, um, uh, really in the art market, as it were. She, she at one moment, uh, one of my favorite scenes is, is where she, she's talking about her own passion for, for a painting of a dog. Um, an incredible moment. But she also, you ask her quite provocatively about whether there'll be great works of art done in the future. And she says, how can you ask me such a question? I mean, really, it's like asking me, is there a future? And she gets kind of incensed, but I think it's really, I think it's really interesting because she reacts powerfully.
0: Well, it's a great, it's, it's a wonderful moment. And as I said earlier, I do sometimes play dumb Um because, and you, you know, people, people, people respond strongly. So I asked her the, the absolutely dumb question are masterpieces being made today? And, you know, in the moment, it seemed like kind of a good question. But of course, if you step back for five seconds and think about it, it, it is a stupid question because of course there are masterpieces being made today. But I have no confidence whatsoever that the masterpieces being made today are the ones that are going to the marketplace. Right. I mean, come on, you know, that, that would be way too easy. And, uh, you know, then, then,
1: then, money, then money would have a lock on the truth. Then money would rule money would rule and and it it while it appears to
0: in the end it does not and it will not but she says you know of course masterpieces are being made today you know you're you're asking me do i believe in the future of course i believe in the future and it's a good answer because it also reveals the fact that she as much as she's a fantastic marketer Together, this incredible auction, and you know, um, several hundred million dollars went into that. You know, that that particular sale came out of that sale. I mean, it's a lot of money. A single painting of Gerhard Richter went for thirty million dollars on the night that you know she put it together on the night that it sells. I mean, that's that's you know, <laughs> that's a pretty good price to me. Um,
1: <laughs> to me too. But
0: you know, but 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 she but she says, um, uh, you know, she she absolutely believes. know, that, that you have these moments, you can't always get someone in the situation of in their work environment, they won't necessarily reveal their softer side, you know, or their kind of their, their more emotional side. But Amy, I mean, Amy's a very emotional person. And, but when we were sitting in the back of the car, we were, she was going to show actually Stefan Edlitz, some of the work, with one of the collectors who you mentioned before, and we're in the back of the car. And I just asked her, you know, what was the first work of art that you fell apart? Like? And she said, "Oh, you mean like as a kid?" And yeah, yes, as a kid. And she pulls out her iPhone and shows me this wonderful painting from probably around 1912 or so of Giacomo Bala, of a dog, of a little dachshund wagging his tail, and it shows that kind of you know that 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 almost filmic movement, like a like.
1: I simply love it.
0: is getting sucked out you know you you know make make me another one of those tell larry Floss, make me another dot painting keep going you know this is a good product that's not how art works and it's not how new art happens so what he's saying is look art is really smart it's way smarter than anyone who's doing it it's way bigger it lasts way longer it's way more powerful and it will find a new place in a new
1: This is a part of you, Nathaniel, that, uh, you know, one can feel. I mean, I feel it to my core, is hopeful in this moment, in this predicament we find ourselves, is hopeful. So, you know, in closing, I... I, feel that this, this film, The Price of Everything, was done out of a sense of urgency of the situation we find ourselves in. And two years ago, when you started, we were not even in this situation. Pardon. So I'm, I'm wondering, you know.
0: Oh, that's good, Paul. That's so, good. that's exactly what the audience in Athens said. felt. This is urgency. There's an urgency to this. And that's why the pace of the movie is what it is. It moves quickly. It has an energy. It has an anxiety to it. I wanted to have that anxiety because there is an urgency and there is a protest aspect to it. It's, it's, it's crying out in the wilderness. It's, it's subtle. It, it is showing many different ways of looking at this art thing. It's not judging them, but it's presenting them and saying, look, here is the table. Here is, here's what it looks like. How do you feel about it? How, how does it make you feel? And it should make you mad and it should make you scared and it should make you anxious because that's the age we live in
1: because and you because you too will become a gadget you too will be commodified
0: you'll be a sheep you'll you be a will become a, you will become a sheep so what's to so be what, so
1: what's to be done
0: what's to be done well i mean i think that's and that in the end now we sort of come back to larry and why larry's in the film because what larry does in the film and has done in his life is what is to be done stick to your guns you know Somehow believe in yourself, and I'm, I'm 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 trying to listen to this in myself because I I it's doubt so often.
1: It's not easy.
0: So much, it, but courage, courage, and and I so desperately need it, and wish I had it more in my life, and have had it, you know, as, yeah, to some degree in my work. But I want it. I want I I I pray that I find more of it because it takes courage, and and if the film can can remind people. A little bit that if you look and you open your eyes and you care about what you care about and you have courage it's funny because now we're really talking about 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 artists about creative people have belief in what your inside is telling you That's that's what Larry did and at the end of the film yeah he has a comeback show but I he does, which is a marvelous thing it's a lucky break for me as a filmmaker but when I say to him you've waited for this a long time I say to him thinking I'm gonna get something out of him and he says, I haven't waited for it. And that that was that's a really important moment. He pushes me right away and says, No, I wasn't waiting for it. I mean the implication is I was doing the work and I was following what I felt was right. So what is to be done is each one of us, you know, wake up. We, We we need to wake up. And if you know if the film if the film you know the film begins with this comment, which is from the auctioneer A a very famous auctioneer and a a wonderful guy, (laughs) uh, you know, who talks about the necessity that great art needs to be expensive, and it sounds very true and very real. And yet, the entire film really, in many ways, riffs on that. And in the end, hopefully, it takes it apart because, in the end, Larry really kind of has the last word by saying, "It's all about the work. It's about the paintings. It's about." It's about that. And, and in that sense, it's about connecting the way Van Gogh wanted to connect with his brother. Let's not be strangers to each other. We're alive right now. Let's connect. Let's talk. Let's figure it out. So, you know, hopefully, um, you know, hopefully, hopefully we'll figure it out. What is to be done is, is, we, you know, we certainly have to listen to each other. That I'm sure of. Because we live in a time right now where everybody wants to have their point of view get across, and nobody wants to hear a point of view that they don't agree with, and no one wants to have that discussion. We have to find a way to civilly have discourse with each other and disagree with each other, but but not discount each other and listen to each other. Nathan, but I think art.
1: Nathan, yeah, tell me.
0: Art enables that. Art, don't you think? I mean, isn't that isn't that why you love it too?
1: That is, that is, because I think that it, it permits precisely, um, an open-ended conversation to happen. Yeah.
0: Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, you know, and that's a wonderful way to put it. It's okay to have more questions at the end of the day.
1: And your film, in many ways, you know, leaves that space for debate and leaves that space which is sometimes at times uncomfortable because some of the, the impulses behind what one might call the art market are pretty ugly, but it it makes you think and it makes you reflect on, you know, what what is important, what is valuable, what is value, what is excellence, what is it about?
0: Value. Absolutely. And that, that's back to the title. You know, uh, the cynic is the person who knows the price of everything and the value of nothing. Well, we, should, we need to think more about value and less about
1: price. Nathaniel, I can't thank you enough. Um, I feel that it's just the beginning of an ongoing connection and conversation.
0: Let's see each other again soon. Yes,
1: let's let's do that. Let's let's reread that letter of Theo and see each other. We're not corpses yet. No, (laughs) we're
0: still we're still alive. There's a lot to be done.
1: Bye bye, my dear.
0: See you, my friend.
1: Bye bye.